Hello and welcome to Business Psychology Unplugged. Today we have a slightly different direction in terms of our normal script. We're actually going to be talking to Dr. Sai Islam, who came in in our first episode. But this time, Sai is going to be talking about a book that he's recently published alongside Dr. Gordon Schmidt. I want to introduce both of these two. Dr. Sai Islam is an associate professor at Farmingdale University and is a vice president of consulting at Talent Metrics. And Dr. Gordon Schmidt is the Associate Professor of Organizational Leadership at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. Welcome, both of you. Very happy to be here. Happy to be here. Awesome. Did I get all the titles and names correct there? Yeah, good for me. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's always good to start the right way. So the book that you've written is called Leaders Assemble Leadership in the MCU. And the MCU, for those of you who are not aware, I know I remember the first letter is Marvel. I guess the second is comics. Cinematic, actually. Cinematic. Cinematic, yeah. okay. Cinematic so. universe. <laughs> of course, it's not just comics. Yes. So for anyone who's a fan of the Marvel series, you can be mad at me for messing that up. It's getting started with the show. But this actual book has been published by Emerald Publishing. It's in their pop culture and leadership series. Believe it or not, my main reason for doing this podcast, and obviously, Sai, you reached out to me and you're promoting the book and happy to do that, happy to help you in that journey. But the main reason that I was interested in doing this episode is because I was thinking, well, I'm not a big Marvel fan, but like there's all these fictional characters that I've grown up around. I know that there's a link within the publishing to Star Wars. I know you mentioned there's another series that relates to that. And I can think of multiple people in my head that tap into leadership. My mind immediately actually went to Star Trek. That was where I first really got sucked into leaders because I was a huge Jean-Luc Picard fan when I focus on the characters' names rather than their real names, I guess. And to me, like Kirk and Picard, these like inspirational people that led a large group So I guess I just wanted to start by like, we'll get to the book, but I really am interested in your inspiration when it came to the fictional characters that have stood out for you both. Sai, if you want to kickstart, I see you nodding, so maybe you'll jump in here. Sure. So if you want to talk about Star Trek, by the way, you do have the two correct nerds (laughs) on today's episode, because Gordon and I do talk about Star Trek, the original series, TNG, DS9, which is my personal favorite and as well as the movies. So there's a lot to unpack about leadership in that particular series. And I was a little concerned that you were going to say Doctor Who, because that's like 50 (laughs) years of pop culture. We can go there. I've watched, I'm pretty up to date with Doctor Who, but you know, the problem is Doctor Who is, there's very few people that can keep up with Doctor Who. He's always like, he or she is always transporting somewhere else. So kind of hard to build followers. So I grew up, I love Doctor Who. That's one of the fictional characters I've always liked, and there's certain really specific things I like about the character. One is the Doctor is sort of a pacifist. A lot of the characters that we talk about in the Marvel Cinematic Universe book, they use weapons, they use offensive weapons, they have to physically fight people, and the Doctor doesn't do that. The Doctor has to outthink, he has to build relationships, and to be honest, from a leadership perspective, that's more true to what happens with real leaders, right? It's not like I'm a corporate business leader, and I'm just going to use some mind control power or some other physical capability to force people to do what I need them to do. 
I'm going to end up doing what the doctor ends up doing, which is appealing, which is making a case for why we need to make take a course of action. And that's always appealed to me. So the doctor definitely very much a leadership character that I've always found to be really interesting. So can I ask you a question about that? You mentioned yeah, yeah. when you were talking about like the real world of leadership mm. versus the Doctor uh -huh. Who, I think that it makes sense that people who mm. are able to influence others without force and without power, if you want to use it. I know that in the yeah. opening couple of chapters, you refer to different types of power. And I think one of the things you mention is using positional power versus using personal power. And for me, personal power is really more of a transformative relationship. And I think there's a whole area of even servant leadership, which I know you talk about with Captain America, that really comes under that umbrella of transformational leadership and what you might call personal power. What I'm trying to figure out is, you know, there's a lot of people that are running companies, running departments that are using those aggressive tactics. They are using their positional power. So what do you say to those people that have found those things, ways to get things done, using that aggression, using that power, using their stature, using how, much, how sort of maybe intimidating they can be? So I'll use a little example that Gordon and I can both relate to because we're both relatively new dads. And I watch parenting very differently now, now that I have my own kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what I notice is that people, you know, they know that they shouldn't yell at their kids and just tell them, no, don't do this. But they fall into that pattern. And I think leaders fall into this pattern, too, where they tend to say, I'm going to use aggressiveness. Do what I tell you to do. Don't question me. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And these are the reasons why, based around my position, that you should follow what I've said. And you can see a parallel there between parenting and leadership in this sense, because most parents, if you ask them, well, should you correct the child's behavior and show them what they should do versus just telling them no or yelling at them, almost every parent is going to say, yeah, that's what I probably should do. Just like every leader, if you ask them, like, well, what's the better technique for you to use? Is, is it correcting this person, giving constructive feedback, and then following up? And they'll probably say, yeah, that's probably better than me just saying, like, hey, do what I tell you to do, using that positional power. And so I think we fall back on things that seem easier or seem quicker. And I think that's part of the reason that thinking through things in terms of pop culture can be really useful for us, because it's easier for us to imagine when we see that image of a leader or a character behaving in this way, then we can start to fill in the gaps and say, like, yeah, I can do this now, because I remember I saw this character do it in this fashion. And so that's part of where the inspiration for the book came from. And part of what I found useful in my own coaching work has been to kind of remove people from the situation of their exact, oh, here's the coaching situation that I need to solve right now that's giving me anxiety and I can't solve it. But taking that step back, thinking through it, helps them to come to that conclusion. And I think that's really helpful. And it could be any type of example pop culture or otherwise, that can help people kind of illustrate that and to kind of come to that conclusion. So you're saying that by taking these examples, the Marvel characters obviously is the central part of your book, but by taking these visual animated examples that people can, maybe they grew up watching, maybe they're inspired by, but also it's just like, hey, here's a completely different way of looking at your situation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. and. We know from a lot of research about learning through 
watching videos and through reading and things like that, that people need to be able to envision themselves, right? They have to be able to see themselves engaging in a behavior. So when we talk about something like self-efficacy, somebody has to believe that they can engage in that behavior. Sometimes the example from a movie, a book, a TV show could actually help them to imagine that they could do it. And that's a very powerful tool. So for example, Ben, when you watch Jean-Luc Picard, could you see yourself at the helm of the Enterprise saying engage <laughs> and like leading that crew? Were you able to envision that? Like when you became a leader, when you started running your own company, was that helpful? You know, I think a lot of kids have imagined sitting in that chair in the same way, perhaps Game of Thrones fans enjoyed and imagined sitting in that powerful chair. I want to ask Gordon about this too, because I mean, obviously we'll go back and forth here, but did you ever imagine yourself in those chairs? And what really inspired you to get involved in this whole project? So, yeah, I think there's been a lot of people growing up. You know, Jean-Luc Picard was somebody, I watched the TV show. I read a lot of the Star Trek novels back in the day. The library had those. I think Star Wars was something we really liked and looking at sort of how those very different people kind of interact with each other. I think something inspired me. I think comics were a big part for me as well. Characters like Spider-Man and the Avengers that were sort of aspirational, that seemed to sort of speak to my life growing up in various ways. And so I think for myself, and certainly from talking to Sai, I think for him as well, even as teachers and researchers, we've always been kind of inspired by this popular culture that we're passionate about, that we care about. And so I'm bringing examples into class related to the Avengers or Star Trek. We're talking about these things. Because I think for a student, it does make some of these things more real, makes them be something they can say, oh, it's kind of like that character from Parks and Rec. It's kind of like Jean-Luc Picard. When for some students, if they don't, haven't been a leader, haven't felt like they've been a leader, it, leadership is just CEOs, right? It's just powerful people that aren't me. And I think that that is one thing we can certainly get into that's a problem in popular culture and coverage of businesses is we often focus on these CEOs as if they do all the work. We talk about Steve Jobs as if he was perfect as a leader. Spoilers, he was not. But like he did all the work. He created everything at Apple. He ran the show. Apple wouldn't be able to do anything without him. That's not true, and it also isn't how leadership works. You don't want your CEO creating all of your IP because you probably got better people. You need teams to do that. And it's even more significant with like Elon Musk today. You ask the common person on the street, I think they would say Elon Musk invented the electric car, that he right. is Tesla. When in fact, he is the investor that came in and kicked out the original people and found a way to market it. That's a very less exciting and inspirational story than I'm going to be like Elon Musk. I'm the greatest inventor and the greatest leader of all time. I think those types of things, when you focus on them, give us really bad ideas for what leaders are. Leaders need to work with people. They're not the ones doing all the work or all the brilliant ideas. They're getting together a group of people and they're being influenced. When we talk about leadership, we talk about leadership is in both directions. People influencing the leader, the leader influencing them. And that should happen because if all your workers are idiots that don't know anything, aren't better than you at anything, then why do you have them? Why aren't you just in your room doing all the work on your own? And I think that that's some of the thing we really try to focus on in the book. It isn't just Captain America is a perfect leader. Just be Captain America. Everybody will listen. It's talking <laughs> about how everybody has influence and we've got we've to work together. And all of us can have influence. 
which I think is ultimately a good message because it's true. We influence people in our lives. We influence people in our work. We influence our children. We're engaging leadership all the time. We just don't always see it as such, or we don't say, oh, I'm a leader. So, Right. I mean, there's a lot that you said in there. and I don't think I'm going to be able to unpack all of it, but the one thing I want to tap into is this idea of like what the pe- what the public think a leadership a leader is. And I think you sort of nicely created this idea of when you talk about Elon Musk and you talk about Steve Jobs. I mean, for those listeners that read Walter Isaacson, is it? Uh, wrote his book, I think, Walter Isaacson. I mean, a brilliant book and basically an autobiography. I mean, they basically held hands for 10 years and wrote this book. And you get the real Steve Jobs in there, right? And obviously, really more of an individual contributor than a people person, right? And a team leader and someone who cared about their people. I think there's a real misunderstanding in terms of the general public as to what a leader is. And and that's what kind of what I want to take something you said, Gordon, sort of to- turn it into a discussion for us now. Because people that come first are deemed as leaders. There are different definitions of leadership. In fact, there's probably more than 350 if you read a business MBA book on leadership. And the challenge is that we are surrounded by these people that essentially take power. Maybe they create it because they founded a company. Maybe they were given it because they were the highest performer in their organization. And so if you are in a merit-based organization where people are rewarded for performance, they will continue to rise the ranks of the organization, regardless of how much they care about other people. It's about how much performance they can get out of people. And if you are in an environment where someone is really ruling by force, right, just they're so competitive, they're so hungry for success, the only people that can keep up with them are the ones that survive. And the other ones get laid off or they quit. And if that happens fast enough, the organization won't even really notice because they'll keep on hiring new people. And eventually you get a whole culture that are willing to either, as an old client of mine said, either be a shark or outswim the sharks. So the thing is, like, we have a whole world, I would say, of leaders that people are looking at. And these are leaders in title only. They're not leaders of people. People don't want to work for them. So I think it's really difficult for the general public to really differentiate between someone who's in power versus someone who's actually a leader. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I guess, how does your book, looking at superheroes, how does that really differentiate? Because superheroes, by my understanding, are more individual contributors with special powers who are not necessarily like rallying a team of people. So just go get your thoughts on that. Either side, you want to start off? Sure. So one thing that I think is really important, and it's a really key issue that I think a lot of people don't notice. You're right. It's hard to parse out does this person, are they a leader because somebody said they're a leader, right? So for example, if you're part of the royal family, you're going to ascend to the throne. Are you actually the right person to ascend the throne? Do you have the leadership capabilities to do that? That's a very good question. But I think one of the goals of our book is to help people to be able to recognize leaders that they maybe didn't see as leaders, and especially given what we know about who we consider to be leaders, right? Generally male, generally heterosexual, generally Caucasian, right? These are the characteristics that are sort of implicit within the culture of who is allowed to be a leader, but giving people that opportunity to see themselves in leadership, not just as having the title and saying, well, you're CEO now, you're the leader, but actually being able to say, well, if I'm influencing in some way, or if I'm using my power in some way, then I'm exhibiting some leadership capabilities. 
And I think that's important because I don't know if you've heard this, but some organizations, they say everyone can be a leader, right? Oh, everybody can be a leader. And when I've worked with some organizations where they've had that motto, the response from employees is sometimes just, that's not true. My manager has managerial title. I'm the one that is doing the work and they're the leader because they have that title. And in some of my coaching work, one thing that I've noticed is one of the most powerful moments of my coaching work have been when I was working with a female leader. And I remember telling her at the time she was leading a small team within her organization. She had a manager title. And I told her that I could see her as a CEO one day. And I'll never forget, I told her that. And she looked at me very incredulously, like I had, you know, (laughs) just said something very weird, like, what do you mean you think I could be a CEO? And I said, yeah, you're organized, you're smart, you delegate well. All of those things mean that you theoretically could be a CEO. And I think kind of untangling what we mean when we say somebody has this formal power, they have this formal capability versus they've actually got the leadership skill is a really important thing. And I do feel like the movies allow us to do that. I'll give one example from, I think Gordon and I, this is our favorite Marvel movie is Black Panther. Black Panther, especially within the context of the movie, the nation that he's from, everybody thinks is some poor African country that doesn't have anything. When in reality, they have enormous wealth. They have enormous power. They just don't share it with anyone. And that is an incredible metaphor for what we see around the globe, that maybe we're ignoring all of these individuals who have great leadership capabilities, great power, but they haven't been given the opportunity to kind of tap into that. And I think that's a really, really good message because then what we can do is we can empower more people. And given all the changes, all the crises that we're seeing today, more people are going to have to step up now and see themselves as leaders and not just followers, or at least people that can feel like, hey, I can influence this situation in a positive way. Gordon, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one nice thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a lot of it is focused on sort of bringing these individuals that are superheroes doing their own thing together to fight a common menace or be on a team like the Avengers. And so I think it makes a really great illustration of how you have these strong personalities come together and they have to accomplish something when they might very rightly feel like, "Ah, I could just take care of this on my own or I've got a method that works which we see all the time in organizations, right, with star performers or leaders new coming in. The new leader says, well, everybody here was probably an idiot. I've got this plan. We're going to institute it day one. Everybody's going to follow because I'm the big shot leader. And then nothing happens, right? Some people get fired. There's some problems. But we never get to anywhere because that leader doesn't know how to influence anyone. They know how to say, I'm in charge, right? And I think that's a nice thing with a team like the Avengers is you've got people that are kind of leaders, but nobody really has to listen to them if they don't want to. So Iron Man and Captain America tend to be the leaders on the ground more. Nick Fury, for some of the early movies, is kind of a leader, but pretty hands-off. But in the moment, any one of them can have influence and kind of have an impact on what's going to happen because they can do their own thing. They don't need that. In a lot of organizations, we need the paycheck, we need the job, and so we can't say, I'm quitting the Avengers, I'm quitting my job and becoming a superhero on my own. But in the movies, people really can. I'll just be Hawkeye in my own critically acclaimed Disney Plus series instead of an Avenger. He can do that. 
I think most people don't feel they can do that, of course, in organizations because they need the paycheck. But we all do it. We all can have that impact. We can all be a leader. We just often don't really think of it as an opportunity. When we go back to the Marvel characters, because obviously that's what your book's about, is there any of those characters that stand out for you that really do a great job at getting the best out of other people in their team? I was going to say quickly your discussion about team together and uh, selection. We've got a chapter on that that looks at kind of Nick Fury putting together the Avengers and both Professor X and Magneto sort of putting together their own teams of mutants. And it's a really interesting question of that because we build in that idea of staying. So it's not just we want to get the mutant to spend three years at Charles Xavier's school for the gifted and then they transfer to Magneto's school for evil mutants, right? We want you to be (laughs) a good mutant or we want you to continue on in that way. And I think that that's an important aspect with leaders as well is how do we build the team and keep it together? You know, and I think that is some of that meaning, some of that vision, some of those relationships, because yeah, you can be a good mutant or an evil mutant. There's options out there. What appeals to you and how do we make sure you understand that? I think is important. And we talk about in the book with Nick Fury, some of his ways of appealing to like, Bruce Banner to be on the Avengers. Well, what do they do? Well, they don't say, hey, you're the Hulk. You're big, strong, and stupid. We need you. They appeal to him as a scientist. They talk to him as Dr. Banner. They know that that's what he cares about. He sees the Hulk as sort of a problem versus a useful tool. And as we get towards the end of the MCU movies in Endgame, he's worked basically, Bruce and the Hulk have sort of worked together to become a better Hulk a better Bruce Banner together. And I think that that's one thing to think about. How do we get the team, get them to their best version and feel this is a place they want to be, I think is really important. Before I pass this over to Sai, because I'd like to hear your point of view on this too. I think I want to just come back to something you said about how, now I'm not a huge Avengers fan, but you said Dr. Xavier, right? When Dr. Xavier approached Bruce Banner. Oh, Nick Fury for that one. Professor X is the (laughs) (laughs) Professor X, thank you for correcting me. Again, I'm a novice on this. When Bruce Banner was contacted, what I'm hearing is that it was really about what he could get out of this. Like the sales pitch, if you want, or the recruiting method was to say, this is who you are. This is what you're great at. And this is how you could apply your skills. And is that something that would interest you? And that process of rather than selling people on your vision, but instead to help create with them a shared vision of their future, it's a very important skill for leaders to have. Because if I paint a vision of my future with your help, because you ask me the right questions or you look over there and is that interesting? If we can create a vision together, then it's really my vision as much as it is yours. And so whether you're there or not, I still may pursue it. I still may push forward. And I think that's what's great about a very effective leadership. I think very effective leading of teams is when the leader can tap into each member of the team individually and not just paint a vision for them, but to encourage them to help paint a vision for themselves. And the outcome of that vision just so also happens to align with you, the leader's vision. And if every single member of the team has a vision of themselves achieving something or doing something, 
And it just happens that all of them have one thing in common and that the ending is basically going to help us all achieve our goal. I feel like that's a really powerful skill leaders need, and I'm not sure they all have them. Sai, any thoughts on that? I think that's an important point is kind of letting people have a vision and actually see themselves as part of your vision as a leader. If we're talking about Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think Black Panther does a great job of showing a leader who turns enemies into colleagues and into allies. And there are a couple of interesting examples of this. One is there's a character in Black Panther by the name of Agent Everett Ross, who represents the U.S. government, represents the CIA. And if you think about the nation that the Black Panther leads, Wakanda, if you think about them as having a very powerful resource that lots of people want, a character like Everett Ross should be in some opposition to the Black Panther because he's there representing America's interests. America wants this substance. They need it to advance. But the Black Panther, T'Challa, he is able to get this person on his side and he's able to kind of show through some authentic actions and by having a real vision of how he sees the future as one where people are together, he's able to bring this individual on. Within Wakanda, he has rivals. He has some enemies within the country itself. The most famous one being Mbak, who leads another tribe within Wakanda. And he's able to bring him into the fold. And in fact, in the course of the film, in the beginning of the movie, he fights, the Black Panther fights Mbaku for the throne. And by the end of the movie, Mbaku is one of his strongest allies. He's one of the people that puts him over the top and helps him win. And so these are leadership capabilities that are very clearly built around building those relationships and creating a vision for these characters where they can see themselves like, oh, I thought that there wasn't a place for me in your world or in the way in your vision. And now I see that there is. And now I can really say, yes, I'm a part of this. And now that I'm talking about it, this is making me think about a lot of episodes of Star Trek where they go to another planet right? And they meet a group of people, new species that they are opposed to, they come to some understanding, and then they eventually join the Starfleet organization. So these are signs of really great, really great leadership is folding people into the organization rather than saying like, hey, we're part, we're different, kind of finding that commonality, the common ground and doing the work of finding that commonality and finding that common ground. In Black Panther in particular, T'Challa has to admit some of the wrongdoing of the Wakanda in the past. He's got to kind of acknowledge, like, we didn't do everything right, and I'm here to kind of fix those mistakes, and I'm here to listen to where those mistakes happen. And even his biggest enemy in that movie, he doesn't want that individual, in this case, Eric Killmonger, he doesn't want him to die. And he offers to, like, hey, Mike, I can save you. I can still save you, even after all of this, and he's rejected showing him as a true villain, showing Killmonger as his real villain that, even in the face of his own death, wouldn't accept support and help from the hero. So this is one of those things that we see in leadership a lot of times. Gordon, I think you wanted to add? No, just, yeah, I agree with that a lot. And we see the difference between Black Panther and Killmonger, Killmonger being more of a, ultimately a broken individual in terms of being a leader because he only cares about his well-being. He's mm -hmm. using Wakanda. And while we can sympathize with him, He's not a good leader because he doesn't do a good job, ultimately, of building those relationships. He offers some appealing aspects to part of this Wakandan military, but you know that it's not going to last because he isn't really building for a future. 
There's no end game in which Wakanda is in a better place with him. In the short term, he might seem appealing and acted very well, very charismatic, but you know Wakanda is going to suffer in the end. Are there any examples of these Marvel characters that perhaps like didn't have those relational skills that you're talking about, perhaps didn't have the patience, perhaps wasn't that interested in developing people? It's really funny you brought this up because the first Avengers movie has a lot of the Avengers arguing, which, as Gordon mentioned earlier, is very true to form for the characters from the comic books. So because they're so powerful, and because they're such good individual contributors, it's hard to bring them together, and there's some conflict over, well, if this was my own movie, I would have done my own thing by now. I would have already made this decision. And so there's definitely characters that are not very good at developing others. I think a really good example of this is probably Thor, because he's a prince in his first movie. His first goal is to kind of develop and be worthy enough to be the prince of Asgard. That's what he's got to learn. And out of all the Avengers, maybe the one that mentors and supports people maybe the least, he has some friendships here and there. I think you could also say the same thing about Tony Stark, aka Iron Man. At least in the first few movies, he is very self-centered. He's kind of a jerk. But eventually, in later movies, he develops some mentoring skills and he mentors Spider-Man. He's able to give him advice. He's able to guide him more effectively. But one thing that we're noticing in the conversation that we're having today is that leadership is a process. It doesn't just stop when we have a good relationship today. We've got to keep working on that relationship, maintaining it, and making sure that we're going through that process. And I think that's a very key point, especially given the length and breadth and the number of movies that we have. One of the most fascinating things about this as a kind of leadership exercise is to see some of these characters change and grow and develop some leadership skills over time. Gordon always talks about this, but I'm going to take this one this time. Black Widow is a character that is very famous for being individualistic. She's a spy by training. Spies don't usually have great teams. They don't really lead very much. They're finding information. But by the time the big crossover movie happens, she's shown herself to be a very effective leader. And I think that matters. I think there's a lesson there for anybody who's thinking about becoming a leader or is in the process of becoming a leader, feels like, hey, maybe I'm not a leader, that you can develop those skills over time. You could get better. Even characters that start not being great at it. Gordon, do you want to mention Hawkeye? Yeah. So Hawkeye, his power is he can shoot an arrow very well. There is some question <laughs> whether there's a power involved in that. I saw an interesting video about maybe he has like super hearing or aim. The comics certainly don't define it as such is my understanding, but that's okay. But within the series, the guy who can shoot arrows really well doesn't seem very essential, right? He doesn't have a skill set that comes up that often. There's not a lot of archery contests. This isn't a Robin Hood related venture or anything where you got to win the archery contest. But he had a Disney Plus show that came out very recently with that series, he basically mentors this lady who was, you know, she's a young lady. She was a fan of his and she has this great archery skill, but doesn't have the experience as a hero. And so while Hawkeye within the Avengers might get lost or seem like, why do we need this guy? He can be a leader and he has all this mentorship influence on her. It's a very delightful series as that goes. And so he has that potential with interacting with somebody that has that need. And I think that that's an important aspect of it as well. I'll also point out here a little bit of an important fact that leaders 
can do well, but they can make mistakes too. And I think that that's what we see in the movies. We see good examples of leadership from Iron Man and Captain America, but they also make mistakes as leaders too. And that leads to kind of in towards the middle of the Marvel movies in Captain America Civil War. Basically, Iron Man and Cap, who are these basically the two big leaders, get into conflict with each other. And instead of talking it through or trying to come up with a solution or a compromise, they basically say, Tony Stark says, I'm paying for everything. This is what we should do. And Captain America basically says, I got my ethics. We're going to do what I say or nothing. Right. <laughs> and so these guys have been good leaders to my mind. And so you said Iron Man grows as a leader. I'd agree. But I think Iron Man has various points where he's been a good leader across it. But there are also big mistakes. And Civil War is sort of this tragic thing where they just get in a situation where one leader's got the opinion, the other's got the opinion, and we're just dividing up sides versus trying to work through the issue, come up with a compromise. And that chapter is all about conflict management. How do we deal with conflict and what are the different approaches to it? And I would say that the chapter argues that they screwed up. They didn't do a good job. It's bad leadership and that you've got to learn from that. I wanted to just go back to an earlier point that you were making. And Sai, I think you brought this up as well. This process, right? This going from individual contributor or in this story, a hero to a mentor, perhaps then to a leader. And I would argue that like, there's probably lots of situations at a micro level that they've been mentors and leaders throughout their, all their life. We all have, right? In different instances with different people. But I do think this concept of a process of an individual contributor becoming leader is a big deal because a lot of people, and maybe you've had this experience, Sai, with your coaching, I think a lot of people are promoted because they're the best at what they do. And they get into this position and they're thinking, right, well, I got here because I am really good at what I do. So all I need to do is get these people to be as good as me, and we're going to be great. And there's this concept that all they've got to do is make mini versions of themselves. And as Marshall Goldsmith, the executive coach, the book he wrote, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, I think that's the biggest challenge for really great individual contributors is that many of them were probably not natural leaders. They were leaders in their job. They were the best. They were ahead of everything they needed to do, right? They were the people that did their homework first. They were the people that were the most accurate. They were the people that worked the extra four hours, right? It means you're competent. It means you're hardworking. But what has that got to do with getting the best out of a group of people over here? So for the heroes that you're talking about, I mean, it's a quite a transition for those people to realize that actually it doesn't really matter what my skills are. It's about what skills the other person has and how can I help them elevate them. It's about what motives the other person has and how can I help them tap into that. So it's interesting that you bring this up because, Gordon, I'm going to talk about The Last Dance, which we talked about quite a bit. I don't know if you saw that documentary. Then, I did see it. But it's about Michael I did Jordan. See it. All right, great. So you might remember when Michael Jordan is on, when he's on The Wizards, they tell this story about him just ripping into everybody and making like, Kwame Brown, like, cry, like, basically destroying him emotionally so that he ended up out of the league after, like, three or four years. So that is, I think, what happens, especially with really exceptional individual contributors that receive no leadership training whatsoever, that get no leadership coaching or anything. It boils down to them, like, I can do this. I can hit all these shots. 
why can't you do the exact same thing? And that's not a healthy approach to leadership in any way. It's not something that that is useful in any way. And I think that sometimes what happens with really high-performing individual contributors is they've been rewarded for so long because of individual contributions that they don't know how to bring others to that point. Especially, I brought up sports for a very specific reason. There's no way to replicate the Michael Jordan skill set. As much as I may want to want to practice or whatever, I'm not going to be able to do that. And so good leaders, you'll notice a lot of times in sports, the best coaches are not the best players. They're people who stopped playing really early on, but understood the sport and understood the dynamics of that workplace. And you see this sometimes with among leaders and their teams. Sometimes team members might say to themselves, well, I'm better at this than my leader. I'm a better salesperson. I'm better at customer service than my leader is. Why do they have this job? And I think it's really important for people to recognize that there's a difference between somebody who is exceptional as an individual contributor and then somebody who, in turn, is really a great leader and really a great kind of steward of an organization and can develop that. They're really different skill sets. So I think that's really important. But also as well, as we're talking through this, this is why pop culture is so useful in these conversations is because we can find reference points that we can connect with and that are really, really valuable. I think like we have to understand that there are technical managers and there are people managers. And in some organizations, the person you report to is not necessarily the person you go to to learn from. It's the person that is going to get the best out of you. It's the person that's going to be there for the team. And I think it all comes down to how skilled and experienced the team is as to the type of leader they need. Because if you have a team that really needs to develop, then they're going to be having a lot of technical questions. Then the next question is, well, is there someone within the team that can train those people? Before you know it, you've got a system where the leader has people below them that respect them either as a manager and a visionary and a people person or a technical person, or maybe a bit of a bridge of the two. But because they've got a certain degree of respect for that person, they then turn around and help develop the people below them. So it's kind of like a process. And I think that taking this full circle, the process really starts at the top, the leader really cultivating that developmental mentality. If I don't have the technical skills, I'll go find you someone that can help you with those technical skills. That's enough. And now I'm going to feel empowered and I can help the next junior person that comes in. But if the people above me don't give me that technical knowledge and they don't care about me and they don't have that integrity, why should I help the person who's coming up the chain? So that's to me how a team kind of forms its own culture. It all depends on what's happening from top down. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it makes sense. (laughs) To my mind, it makes sense. I think it's sort of setting that tone and keeping it going, I think is really crucial. Because I think that is an issue with leadership is we often focus on the big wins or the big events versus kind of the work. And I think the work is building those relationships, keeping it going, making sure people are in the right fit. So yeah, you shouldn't just be the manager because you're the best salesperson. Maybe we need a role for you that allows you to do that. Maybe you'd be a good trainer of salespeople, maybe not. But really figuring out where people can fit and where they can shine, I think, is where you'll ultimately be successful. 
Thank you both. I really appreciate your time. And for those of you who are listening, get a copy of the book. It's called Leaders Assemble, Leadership in the MCU. And I think this is a great way of linking leadership theory to the public that perhaps haven't really touched on this before and are more interested in the characters that you're writing about than perhaps leadership theory. So I want to thank you both, not just for being on the podcast, but for everyone in the world of leadership that is looking for younger people and people that are really not understanding, perhaps people that are more technical and more into the sci-fi world, which I know you two are both into both sides of the equation here. But thank you so much for marketing leadership to a new group of people and to continue the mission. So I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. And thank you for having us on. This is great. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. But if you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, or just tell your friends about it. Until next time, this is Business Psychology Unplugged.